On this episode, I'm in the room with Drew Dick discussing his new book, Yawning at Tigers. Welcome to In the Room, episode number 23. I'm Ryan Hughley, and I'm the founding and lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church just outside Chicago. You can find me at ryanhughley.com and also on Twitter and Instagram at, at @ryanhughley. that's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. Now, if you're new to the podcast, the concept is pretty straightforward. I want to bring you in the room for conversations I have with people who interest me. I talk with pastors, professors, authors, and artists about their stories, their crafts, and how they do what they do. This week, I'm in the room with Drew Dick. He's the editor of Leadership Journal and author of Yawning at Tigers. In our conversation, we discuss how young writers can get better, some challenges facing the evangelical church at large, and the consequences of taming God. Drew's book is great, and we had a lively conversation, so come on in the room for my talk with Drew Dick. Well, Drew, thanks so much for coming on in the room. Really appreciate it. Excited to have you. I'm and, excited uh, to be here. Thank you. Good, man. I would love for people that may not know you very well, um, why don't you tell me a little bit about your background? Where are you from originally? I know in reading your bio, you've kind of lived all over the place, had a bunch of cool yeah. jobs. So, so start at the beginning. Where are you from originally? Sure. Well, I got to get this out of the way right off the bat. I'm Canadian. Oh, I know. Well, uh, it's yeah, been fun having you on. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> oh, maybe I should have led with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I grew up in Canada okay. um, in the Calgary, Alberta area. Uh, my dad was a pastor up there. Uh, I moved down to the States when I was, oh, let's see, 22. Okay. I was going to come down for like six months and here I am 15 years later. Interesting. So yeah, I met an American woman, man. And yeah, that'll do it. And that'll do it. And I'm stuck down here. Yeah. No. So you grew up in a Christian home. Did you come to faith yeah. at an early age or was that a bit of a journey for you? You know, after years of wandering and sin at five years old, I broke down and yeah. accepted this to my heart. And yeah, it was really dramatic. Um, yeah, that's me yeah, too. So it was, <laughs> yeah, I got the worst testimony, but anyway, yeah. but it's great, right? Because yeah, yeah, I grew yeah. in a Christian home. My dad's a pastor, like I said. Um, you know, it wasn't probably until I was really in high school that I, when I started reading the gospels actually for myself that, you know, it hit me and I really kind of fell in love with the person of Jesus and it became more than just, you know, riding off your coat, the coattails yeah. of your parents. Um, and so, yeah, at 22, I moved down to the States. Um, I dropped out of college. I was kind of drifting around, um, ended up going back and uh, finishing an English degree, uh, met my wife, we got married. And um, then I moved down to Pasadena, California, okay. um, where I went to seminary at Fuller Seminary. I uh, got a master's in theology there. And um, after that, took a couple of jobs as an editor, wound up in the Chicago area where I am now yep, at yep. Uh, Christianity Today, working as the managing editor of Leadership Journal, which uh, is our publication for church leaders. Okay, excellent. So I want to... That was quick, yeah. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> ba based on uh, your background, especially as a writer, so you've written two books, correct? Generation yes. X Christian, and then the one we're going to talk about today, Yawning at Tigers, which is by far my favorite book title of the year, just so oh, you know. Thanks, it's phenomenal. Thanks. <laughs> uh, but I want to talk to you a little bit about writing because you are a writer and an editor and uh, and have a lot of expertise there. So to start with, like when you, you have to interact with a lot of young writers, uh, whether mm. that be you know, people that want, want to be published, looking to you for help or that want to be published in your guys magazine. And when you look at young writers, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see young writers making? Hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, where to start? No, yeah. <laughs> you know, for, 
for the the kind of thing that we publish, usually it's a church leader that's writing it, right? Mm-hmm. And so the first thing that we um, encounter often is the assumption that speaking and writing are the same. Oh yeah, and of course they're very different animals. Very. And people who can speak really well often, you know, people are shocked to read their writing and go, "Oh, this is not very good." And yet yeah. there's this guy or this gal, such a great speaker. Um, and then of course the reverse is true: people that are amazing wordsmiths on paper. Uh, often get up in front of people and are just, you know, inarticulate or uh, not very engaging. Yeah. And so, yeah, there, there's a there's a steep learning curve there. Um, the you know the the number one thing I would say though is they need to really strive to be natural in their writing. Sometimes the people that are you know best in front of a microphone will get a pen or a keyboard in their hands, and all of a sudden they turn into kind of stiff, stodgy academic writers. Right. And, um, so that's a tendency that they need to, uh, um, resist and just to lead with your story. You know, if you have a good story to tell, we're, we're always open to, to seeing that. Yeah. And if there is a good story, um, there, regardless if it's a little rough, we can usually uh, shape it up. That's our job as editors. Yeah. And, uh, get it to the place uh, to where it's going to be helpful to others. All right. Well, outside of, I know that, <clears throat> I mean, especially learning how to preach, one of the one of the most important things for for progressing as a preacher is just sheer reps. Um, it's good to read books. It's there's great resources. It's great to listen to podcasts. Until you actually do it, you're going to suck at it. And uh, and so I, I I think that writing's like that as well. So aside from taking as many reps possible, how do you encourage writers to get better? Well, the main thing is, and this is a little cliche, but it's so true. Read. Read, read, and read good writers, you know, okay. writers that you really admire, that you want to emulate. And then what's going to happen is your material is probably going to be like the poor man's version of whoever you like. That's right. right. Yeah. Uh, but then you read enough writers and you get enough voices in your head and then you become a bit of a mutt. At least people can't recognize the pros right. of, being a of someone else. Um, but yeah, there's really no, no shortcuts. You're right. It's about reading a ton. It's about writing a ton and then just getting it out there in front of people. And yeah. then here's another thing. You can always tell a novice writer uh, by their thin skin. You know, really? it's like, oh, you know, you're going to change that sentence or even though you've made it way better, they're all sensitive about it. Yeah. Uh, man, you just got to, you got to have this mentality that you're not this artiste. You're yep. trying to communicate and you need help and whatever helpful input someone can give you, you take it and, and run with it and just care about what works. How do you, I mean, that just sounds like a nightmare to me. Trying, <laughs> trying, trying to shepherd uh, the level of insecurity that must be there. <laughs> with that many writers, it's just, I mean, honestly, it's, it's really difficult. I mean, we, so we, I mean, I, I lead a church, we have artists in our church. Uh, it's a, it's a unique, uh, wiring to try to provide feedback to, to critique. There's so much identity oftentimes bound up in it. So as yeah. an editor, when you're kind of, you're providing people a lot of critique, what are some things that you try to be mindful of and things that you're telling, you know, these young creators, uh, to try to shepherd their heart a little bit through the whole thing. Cause you're not, you know, you're not a jerk and I know that you're trying to genuinely help these people. So <laughs> what are some things you try to really keep in mind and tell people? Well, you know, the first thing is I don't have a ton of time if someone is really sensitive about the material yeah. to sit there and kind of counsel them through yeah. it. Yeah, I'm pretty blunt. And unfortunately, it's just the, the nature of the business because you get so many proposals coming at you, so many ideas um, that you're shooting around that you really want to work with people who are who are not too sensitive. Yeah. And I don't mind if a writer pushes back and says, hey, you know, I really like it better this way and makes a good case for it. And if it makes sense, I'll go with it. Yeah. Um, but I really just stress that, hey, this is not about 
uh, you know, you or either of our personalities. It's really about what works at the end of the day, especially in the kind of writing that we're trying to build up the body of Christ, equip yep. ministers, uh, inspire people. And so uh, the end is bigger than the means. And so yep. really it's about sacrificing often uh, your your preferences or your well-turned phrases even yep. uh, to get to something that works. Yeah, that's good. Well, in reading your book, I really appreciated the fresh way that you express yourself and your thoughts. And, and one example that just like, I just, I'd like to like had to put the book down. It was, it was such a good sentence. Uh, but you said, you said, uh, it's, uh, you said, ultimately when it comes to God, we're like ants crawling across an iPad in touch with something we only faintly understand. So first of all, Thank you. That was just a, <laughs> such an awesome way to say that. Oh man, um, appreciate it. But Thanks. my question is, uh, how do you, is that a gift or is that learned? How do you, how do you, to, to think, to articulate that reality in that manner? Um, is that a gift that you have? Is that something that people can get better at? Like, what do you think about that? It's a little bit of both. Um, although I would agree, you know, some people have said that writing is more a craft than an art. Yeah. You know, it, it's not just something, obviously, you're born with. Language is an acquired thing, and so you get better and better at it. Um, and I'm not saying that I'm, you know, the paragon of what it means to be a, a writer. Um, but I have been doing it for a long time. I started yeah. when I was maybe, I don't know, 18 or 19, uh, churning out these sappy devotionals for um, some denominational publications. Yeah. And, you know, you go back and read that, and it's terrible, and hopefully you progress over the years. And so, yeah, it's something that you work at. You see things out there that you like. You try to incorporate that into your bag of tricks. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And and you know, someone once said, I forget who it was, but um, uh, easy reading is darn hard writing. Oh yeah, that's, <laughs> that's good. That's very true because some people just go, Oh yeah, I like your 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 writing just flows, and it seems like it was really easy for you. And often that's actually the opposite. If if it does. You know, if it's a really easy read, it was really tough uh, work on the back end. Yeah. Well, the hard work of a picture like that for you, like, tell me a little bit about, like, I know, I mean, I write a sermon every single week and uh, sure. I don't wing it. I actually write it. I don't, <laughs> I don't preach from like a full manuscript, but it's a broken manuscript. And I, I, I don't, I don't usually say anything I have not pre-planned to say. And usually when I do, I have to end up apologizing on the back end. <laughs> so, so you don't, you don't count on the Holy spirit is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, no, not ever. Okay. I don't right. feel hey. Yeah. So this That's is going to okay. get me in so much trouble. All right, we'll keep going. <laughs> so, so when you're, when you're writing the chapter that you're writing and you come up with a sentence like that and this really vivid imagery, does that just like an angel drops that in your head? Do you have, I know, you know, people are different. So some people have an Evernote file where they're keeping these, mm. these ideas and illustrations and, and what's that? Is it, how does that work for you? How do you collect that? Yeah. Well, you know, usually God just kind of moves my pen is on. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is the most no. unhelpful advice. Yeah, exactly. And if he doesn't do that for you, I'm afraid you're out of luck. That's no. right. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm always, as a writer, you're always trying to find new ways to say things that have been said before, right? Yeah. And so you want something fresh and a little vivid, and I'm glad that image worked for you. In fact, I was a little you know, unsure about that image because I thought that sounds kind of weird. Yeah. Um, but I think I was just sitting there. I got an iPad um, and was looking at it and I was trying to think, you know, what's a good analogy for our relationship to God? You know, mm -hmm. and I was talking in, in that section, I think about just how we, we're just scratching the surface when we're talking right. about God and, and our knowledge of him really. So we can't get too cocky. And then I was thinking, and yet on the other hand, we have a connection to God. 
It's not that we don't, you know, he's revealed himself to us. I, I firmly believe that. And so I thought, hey, you know, imagine an ant crawling across that iPad. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of similar. Yes, he's touching the iPad, but what level of comprehension does that have ant, yeah. uh, that ant have of the intricacies of that technology? Well, yeah. very little. And so I went with it and yeah, I'm glad it worked for you. Good. I loved uh, it. Some, I don't know. Sometimes maybe I, it falls flat. But. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't think I'm making a bigger deal out of it than it is. I think I, I really like that. I felt like I could have spent the whole hour just talking to you about that one freaking sentence. You're, you're my new favorite person. All right, good. Well, uh, on last thing on writing best resources that you'd recommend, uh, books, yeah. blogs, podcasts. What do you, what do you listen to? What do you read? What would you point people toward that want to really grow in their craft? Oh, wow. Outside so, of Stephen King's yeah. book on writing is like oh, my favorite serious? book on writing. Did I just steal your thunder? Yes, you did. All right, I'm and sorry. I was going to do the Christian like caveat about the cuss words in there. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> Don't be sensitive. Read his book. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It really is. And actually, that's one I read just like, well, about a year ago. So yeah. pretty recently. Uh, Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott is oh, very yeah. good. Um, um, let me think. Oh, I'm reading a new one. Um, the Sense of Style. Okay. Uh, by Pinker, um, that is phenomenal. And yet as a, as a Christian, it kind of irritates you because I think he's like an atheist humanist. And so he's always like quoting Dawkins okay. as an example. Yeah. Um, and yet, Hey, listen, man, Richard Dawkins for all the guys, uh, terrible theology and philosophy, Brilliant writer. Uh, he, the dude can write, Oh yeah, he can write, man. He's like, you know, I, I was laughing to myself cause I read a, a William Lane Craig book, um, about God's existence and non-existence and all right. that. And it's so dry and so deep and good and well-reasoned. And then at the same time, I was reading The God Delusion. Yeah. And it's just full of fallacies and leaps in logic. But man, it's like sizzling prose. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's, uh, well, part of the reason it's sold millions of copies. And right. so, um, yeah. Um, so that's, that's another resource. But like I said before, really, it's about spending the time and reading a lot. And people that don't want to read, that want, they don't really want to write. You don't right. want to read. And yeah. I hate to be brutal about it, but, um, and you know, if, if ministry is your thing and just reading about God, that's about 90% of what I read. There are a lot of good writers out there. There's Frederick Beekner, there's Eugene Peterson, there's Marilyn Robinson, uh, Tim Keller is even a good writer, you know, yeah, obviously a brilliant thinker. Yeah. Um, and so there's no shortage of beautiful Christian writing out there. Yeah. All right. Well, let's shift. Let's talk about the church a little bit. Uh, one of the things I really appreciate it be, I've, I've not yet had the opportunity to read Generation X Christian. I want to, so I'm going to pick that up. Oh. But I appreciate in Yawning at Tigers, you, you bring a, a good critical eye to the church at large. And, uh, and, 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 uh, and I was telling you before we started, there's, there's plenty of critics of the church and not a lot that are very helpful. Sure. And so I think there's a way to be critical without being a critic and, and I think that you do that well. So when you think, though, about just kind of the general landscape of evangelicalism, you interact with lots of churches, lots of pastors. What are some of the greatest challenges that you see the evangelical church facing currently? Mm. Wow. Yeah, where to start? That's a lot, right? Um, but, you know, obviously, you probably know where I'm going to go just because I did write about it in the book, is that I think we live in a very therapeutic culture, right? Yes. So there's this natural tendency for us, even as Christians, because of course we're not immune from the culture's influence, the broader yep. culture's influence, but to gravitate to those characteristics of God that we find comforting. Yep. So we do a pretty good job, and I'm speaking as an evangelical here, we do a good job of talking about God's love, his mercy, his grace, 
Um, and of course, that's all essential. But then sometimes there's this reluctance, right, when it comes to talking about other attributes of God, right? Whether it's holiness, um, his judgment. I don't know if you'd call that an attribute of God, but that's yeah, certainly wrath. part of what he does. Yeah, his yep. wrath, you name it. Um, those kind of things we're a little more skittish about. And that's something I see as a problem. I really mm-hmm. do. You look at most of the worship, or you listen to most of the worship songs we sing in the average church. They could be sung to God or a girlfriend. That's right. You know, the sermons um, are almost exclusively about love. It's the same, incidentally, with um, uh, pub- books that are published in the Christian market. Yeah. Um, you know, often you, and, and I'm not trying, I'm not like the anti love guy, okay? Obviously, yeah. you can't overemphasize God's love. But here's the danger, in my view, is that when you downplay God's holiness, and just talk about his love, eventually his love loses meaning. Mm-hmm. Because you're not talking about the biblical God with all his attributes. Um, and so if you're just talking about sort of a cosmic um, buddy or a, a divine therapist, if mm-hmm. you will, someone who's just kind of cheerleading you from the sidelines of your life, if that's a God you're talking about, well, who cares if he loves you? Right. Right? What kind of God is that? Right. Um, and so, but if you're talking about the God of the Bible, the God that dwells in unapproachable light, uh, the one that, you know, Isaiah describes in Isaiah 6 is high and lifted up above the temple. If you're talking about that holy, transcendent, majestic, glorious God, well, his love means something, right? Yeah. So I think, you know, that's why often when we talk to outsiders even, and we say, you know, Jesus loves you, they go, well, who cares? What? Well, who's Jesus? Who's yeah. God? And we have to back up and describe exactly who this holy, majestic God is before it even matters, before it's even good news. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. If so, I want to ask you to help me make it as easy as possible for other people to find it on iTunes. And to do that, we have to increase our visibility, and that happens through listener reviews. So do me a favor. If you're enjoying this episode, take 60 seconds, log on to iTunes, and leave a short review. It's that simple. Such a small price to pay for this great content. Every review makes a huge difference, so keep spreading the word, and thanks so much for your support. Now back to the conversation. Well, uh, it seems... To me, that that a we live in a church culture right now that has really no problem being critical of the culture, but uh, doesn't always have a stomach for having the criticism turned on itself. Mm. And so, what 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 do you say to people that would push back on you for just being kind of a curmudgeon, kind of, kind of <laughs> o- overly critical? Why do you think it's important to be able to appropriately criticize even the church? Mm. Yeah, and and I've certainly um, uh, gotten some of that uh, feedback. You know, people I'm sure. Kind of- saying, well, your God doesn't sound like much of a father. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, this might sound trite, but I mean, look at the Bible, right? Yeah. I mean, we're just not uh, teaching, I'm afraid, the full counsel of God. I find it interesting, for instance, that nine out of 10 sermons that are preached in North America are preached from the New Testament. You know, of course we preach from the New Testament. The right. New Testament is the grid through which we read the Old. But often what I fear is that our tendency to neglect Old Testament passages is our subtle way of circumventing those passages that portray God in ways that make us uncomfortable, right? And so we don't want to talk about the kind of strange passages where we're, who's that poor guy who's uh, reached out to study the ark and gets struck dead? What do you do with that? That's hard. I I get it. And I understand why preachers, uh, Mm -hmm. for instance, will avoid passages like that and um, preach on something a little more inspiring. Um, and yet, like I said in my little rant, um, I think it's important that we understand uh, the full scope of Scripture, yeah. all of the attributes of God, um, if we're really to um, understand how wonderful the good news is 
that he came to earth in the form of his son uh, to die for us and bridge that gap. We don't understand how big that gap is, I think. Often. Right. And uh, God is our homeboy. Jesus is, uh, or Jesus is our homeboy. God's the big guy upstairs. You, ha- yeah. you named it. Yeah. Right? There's this sort of casual, low view of God yeah. uh, that I find unsettling. Yeah. I, uh, I preached at this. I wasn't planning on sharing this story, but I don't care. Uh, <laughs> I was preaching at this, this camp uh, like three years ago high school kids. And, uh, I preached at like seven every night, every single night when I'd come into their little auditorium, they were, they had beach balls that they were smacking around the room. And there was a song called Jesus is my buddy that was playing. It was like a horrible hip hop song. Sure. And, uh, and so four nights that went on and, uh, and then they had a meeting with me on like the third day. And they're like, you know what? The kids are having a hard time paying attention during this, the sermon part. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, it's my fault, not not the Jesus is my buddy and beach ball song. And so the last night I said, I'm not preaching tonight unless we kill that song and we do it something something different. And and that is was a really real-time example for me of like we want to major on the imminence of God, yes. his yeah. love, his grace, his mercy, his nearness to us, and downplay his transcendence. And so your book so resonated uh with me. And, uh, and so what, what exactly is it that in like, where did your observations of this come from? What, what inspired you to write this book? Like, where did that itch start for you? Hmm. It really did start just being in a lot of church services in my job. I get, you know, I have the privilege of being able to be in a lot of different churches, travel a little bit and survey the landscape, if you will, of yeah. the evangelical um, world. And yeah, it's just what I saw in our worship and our preaching, the way we talk about God. And you know what, listen, I'm not... It sounds like I'm a curmudgeon or I'm finger pointing, but really I see the same tendency in my own life. And I think this is true of a lot of writers. Mm-hmm. You're really writing to yourself. You're, you're trying to correct a tendency that you see in your own spiritual life um, that often I just wasn't um, in my own you know, thought life, prayer life, devotional life. I didn't have a, an appreciation for God's transcendence. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, originally this idea was, you know, you don't want to just play up God's transcendence. I think there were times maybe in history where the pendulum swung the other way, yeah. maybe with the Puritans, right? Yeah. Maybe they didn't quite get the imminence as much as the transcendence. Um, our, and, and then now I feel like the pendulum has swung the other way where we're all about the imminence of God, his nearness, mm-hmm. um, and that he loves us, but we have a tendency to neglect the transcendence. And of course, I talk about this in the book, but Christianity really is the only religion um, if you want to call it that, yeah. that holds those two together and refuses to collapse the paradox, That's right? Because right? yep. in Eastern religions, you get the imminence, you know, God's in the stream and the river and yeah. the trees. He's you, he's within. Yep. Um, whereas in Islam, it's all about transcendence. Yep. You know, Allah is, is far removed. We, is, he's so remote and transcendent that we can't really even know him. Um, whereas in Christianity, we say, no, 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 we want it both ways. God is completely transcendent. He's above and beyond the physical world. Um, if this world was wiped out, God wouldn't be less. And yet he's as near as our breathing. Mm-hmm. He's, and he intimately cares about the details of our lives and about his creation. And so it's really a beautiful paradox. And I just, I guess this book grew out of a desire to see Christians maintain that paradox because I do believe it enriches our worship mm-hmm. um, and even our witness to the outside world. Yeah, that's good. 
So you've, you've mentioned a couple, I think, but what do you think are some signs that a church has lost its sense of God's holiness or his transcendence? So we see it play out in language, obviously, both in sermons and songs, but any, any other things, even, even just practically, I mean, you mentioned in our witness and in our, in, in mission, maybe in community, any other things that you think happen when we lose a sense of God's transcendence? Yes. I'll say the first thing you don't give a rip about sin. Hmm. You don't care about holiness in your yeah. personal life. Yeah. You know, I, I talk about this in the book. Um, when we lose a theology of divine holiness, yep. we can't be surprised when we lose the personal practice of holiness. Oh, that's good. Right? And so, so many people, and, and a lot of older Christians will look at the younger generation, and there's a lot of hand-wringing. You know, yeah. why don't they, they, they seem to think that like monogamy or, or sex within marriage is sort of a, a weird throwback, and yeah. they just don't seem to care about those kind of things. Um, and they don't have an interest. They think any mention of holiness is almost like legalistic or something. Yep. Um, and we wonder, like, what is that? Well, I really believe it goes back to our view of God. Yeah. And often, unfortunately, it's the view of God we've been teaching them uh, since they were little. And, you know, uh, Christian Smith, uh, sociologist, has called this moralistic therapeutic deism. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and youth leaders are familiar with uh, how pervasive this is among young people. Um, and so that automatically translates, you know, if God isn't that holy, mm-hmm. um, then why would you be holy? And so, yeah, when you get squishy on certain uh, teachings of holiness, and again, not, not to be legalistic, right? You don't right. want to fall into that. But we really do have to care about holiness. And when we see that slipping, I think that is the first sign, uh, at least a, a glaring one, that we've lost sight of God's holiness. Yeah, that's good. So <clears throat> what, do you, what do you think it is that we're all prone in certain ways to, to domesticate God, if you will? And yeah. I'm just wondering what it is. You do some great work on this in the book, but why is that? What, what, mm. what in us, why don't we want a transcendent God? Mm. I think, let me think it, you know, I think it traces back to our desire for control. Yeah. Um, and this is nothing new. You look at, you know, uh, native animistic religions, right? What do they do? They take the, the attributes of the tribe or the unit, whatever it is in their culture, and they deify that, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's totemism, they will get totems that represent the, the kind of values that they want to emulate as a people and worship that. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's the same thing that the Israelites continually did in the Bible. Um, and so there is this tendency that if we can define God, um, if we can you know, craft an idol, I mean, of course, that's the, the most controllable, the best way to domesticate, literally domesticate God. You can have him in your living room on the right. mantle. Yeah. <laughs> and that's um, a God you can control, a God you can worship on your own terms, a God who's not going to judge you or ask anything of you, right? Right. So that's very comfortable and it gives you control. And yet at the same time, it's sort of this talisman that might give you good luck and bring you good fortune. So I think it's a very basic human instinct. And of course, as Christians, we're above all that, right? Well, yeah. we like to think we are. Yeah. But my um, contention that I play out in the book is that we do that in more subtle ways. We say we're worshiping Yahweh, mm-hmm. uh, the, the God revealed in Jesus. But often when you really examine uh, the kind of uh, descriptions we have of God, <clears throat> we have domesticated God or made him in our image uh, so that we can control him. So he isn't a God that's going to make us do something uncomfortable. So he's a God that we can look at certain things, even in the Bible, and say, nah, he didn't really do that. Right. He didn't really say that. He didn't really ask that of us. Um, and so we need to be on our guard. I know I do constantly 
um, of doing that and just expecting that this God that we're engaging is um, going to play according to our, our uh, rules, which of course isn't the case. Right. Well, one thing I really appreciated about Yawning at Tigers was your obvious effort for balance. Uh, you got the first half is really focused on the transcendence of God. And then you do bring in the imminence of God in the latter half of the book, which I think is great. Why do you think, and I think the reason I was struck by that is that I think culturally we tend not to be very balanced. Uh, we tend to tend to pick a side of the fence cause it's a little bit easier, but, but why, sure. why do you think balances and that tension, you know, that, that you mm. mentioned between these two things, why, why culturally, why is that just so uncommon? Mm. Well, I think whatever context you inhabit, um, it's going to present a temptation to emphasize one or the other. Yeah. Right. Um, and so if you're in a, I don't know, uh, Confucian context, maybe there's a, tendency to want to uh, talk about God's transcendence and mm -hmm. his, his uh, kingly qualities. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're in North America, where the culture is kind of Oprah-fied, yeah. uh, we want to talk about God's love, right? Yeah. That's what's going to resonate with people. Um, and so Oprah's going to hear this and you're going to uh, have, you're going to have a hit out on you now. So hey, listen, it's I'll been tell you fun. What, if she will get behind my book, I will take back <laughs> every right. bad thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and it's it's interesting to me that actually the feedback from the book has been, by and large, loved the first part, really didn't like the second. Really, or really hated the first part, but really, you know, when you got to the second part, if I if they did, they yeah. Liked. So it just it shows that all of us, and I think there are, you know. I really, I think we fall into two camps. There are people that have this feeling like, man, they get God's judgment. I, like they have this haunting sense that God's always out there with a hammer just ready to smack them if they do something wrong. Um, and those are the people that need to be reminded, no, listen, God's for you. Yeah. You know, his grace is, you know, um, and then there are the people that kind of feel like, you know, God's cool with whatever I do. He just loves me. He just want to shower gifts on me. Yeah. And those are the people that need, hey, listen, just a minute here. Let's, yeah. let's, let's pull this back and look at God's holiness and transcendence. So, and I talk about that in the book a little bit, but it's really important that we bring balance to our view of God, a biblical yeah. balance that is. Yeah. And uh, that's going to look a little differently for, for everyone. I think as a, as a preacher, and we have a lot of pastors that listen to this, and I think it's one of the, what you're describing is one of the most important reasons that <clears throat> we be Bible preachers. And, and I, I don't, I don't believe that the only biblically faithful way to preach is to go verse by verse through books of the Bible necessarily. Sure. But I, th I think that to your point, mixing up old Testament, new Testament, I think being, uh, intentional about leading into the problem passages. Uh, I think one of the inherent dangers in not going through books of the Bible, and I, I don't exclusively do that. And I have to be careful about this, but one of the dangers is that you do end up picking and choosing what's comfortable for you. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and I just think that's really dangerous because then you end up feeding a particular thing that you love and that, or that your people love, and that can go wrong in about a million different ways. Sure. So, yeah. so I know when I preach a sermon, <clears throat> I have a hope there's something specific. I, I hope God does in people. And so I'm just curious what your hope is for this book. Hmm. Well, you know, it, it sounds a little grandiose, but it's really that people come away from it with a renewed sense of God's bigness, yeah. you know, just to be awed at God. I mean, and that's what I really tried to do, whether it worked or not, who knows. But like, I went through some of the passages in scripture that have blown me away, 
where I've seen God in a new light and just gone, wow. Yeah. And I, you know, and that's, I think that's the impulse that preachers have too. And any, anyone who wants to, um, be a Christian leader is that, man, we've seen God in a certain way that got us excited and we want to convey that to others. And, and, uh, that's so gratifying when it happens. It doesn't always. Um, but that was my aim with this book is just like, let's have a big view of God again. Let's get, let's, you know, and, and our culture's offered up so many alternatives to that. Right. And I, this is what I want to say to people like, okay, so you've read the prayer of Jabez. You said that little prayer you've, mm -hmm. you've, uh, you know, found, tried to find the secret and you've tried all these formulas and stuff. What if what's really missing from your life are the deep things of God? Yeah. You know, what if it's not that next self-help thing or formula or even your next accomplishment or superficial thrill? What if only a ravishing vision of God's holiness and grandeur yeah. will actually make your life worth living, yeah. right? Because often I think we're just bored and it's totally. like, man, we need a great and holy God to just bring the awe back into our life. Yeah. Um, and, you know, fortunately, that's exactly what scripture provides. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, even though I talk about how hard this message is culturally, ironically, I think people are dying for the awe of God. I think they're thirsty for transcendence. And so often we think, well, we'll just kind of lead with love and we sideline these messages about God's holiness and transcendence when there's a deep-seated desire in everyone to stand in the presence of a holy, majestic God. Yeah. And so, man, I think that resonates with people and I think it matters. So if I'm, if I'm listening and I'm someone who I'm realizing it, even as you're talking that, wow, I've really majored in the imminence of God and the, I haven't really spent enough time thinking about God's transcendence and his holiness. What, what would you encourage people practically to do to expand their view of God's holiness? Well, other than buying my book. That's right. Paul. Yeah. And giving it to all their friends. <laughs> no, um, seriously. Um, I, my, my thing would be to start by um, marinating in the word. I mean, and again, in those passages, maybe that you've avoided, yeah. uh, the ones, and there are many in Revelation, Isaiah, Daniel, that, that give you these uh, views of God that left the people that encountered God flat on their faces yep. and just kind of soak in that. And because um, I think that's the first step, right? Instead of going out there and going, uh oh, I've been preaching, you know, or teaching one side of God's uh, character, I need to go and teach that. No, it needs to hit you first. Yeah. It really does. It needs to impact you and overwhelm you and, and make you fall in love with God all over again because you realize how big the gospel is again. That this yeah. God who is so transcendent. Uh, cooked up this costly way to to redeem me. And so, yeah, you do that. And then once it's kind of impacted your heart, man, it'll flow out of you. And um, that's powerful. In your uh, prep for the book and, and research and everything, what, what were some of the best books that you read on this topic? Oh, man. Well, the first one that comes to mind was uh, A.W. Tozer's Knowledge of the Holy. Oh, that's a great Classic. Book. Absolutely. Um, and you read some of these books and you go, why am I writing one? Yeah. But, um, and yet I think this, this is a message that needs to be, uh, heard, you know, in our time again, yeah. um, uh, Rudolph Otto, it's a little heavy, uh, but, uh, the idea of the holy, okay. um, and that's a little more academic sociological talking about the, the, the role that the idea of the holy plays in religion in general, but it's a fascinating book. He coined the term, uh, the, uh, mysterium tremendum, that is the, the uh, overwhelming mystery, okay. the mystery that overwhelms or terrifies. Yeah, how y there's this desire in us to experience that. Yeah, um, 
And, oh man, I'm going to leave so many out. Um, I think you mentioned oh, one of the book by Sproul, didn't you? The Holiness oh, yes, of God, yes, maybe? Yes, Holiness of God yeah. or Sproul. That was a huge influence. I read that cover to cover. Um, the uh, um, I can see it right now. The uh, Trivialization of God. It's okay. a book. I, I don't even think it's in print anymore, but it was um, an excellent book uh, written in the mid-90s. Uh, Nav Press put it out. I would definitely recommend that. Okay. Um, and then just a lot of commentaries mainly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tozer's, Tozer's always been one of my favorite authors. And I, the thing mm. that I find the most striking about him is just his, uh, rev, like just, he's just as relevant, relevant now as he was yeah. then. Like he yeah. could have been, uh, so I, are you doing a lot of traveling for this book and speaking on that? Cause this is like, uh, this is like John the Baptist prophetic, Sort of calling people to repentance type stuff. So are you traveling and doing that kind of speaking? A little bit. Yeah. Okay. I've had the opportunity to do some, you know, Christian shows in yeah. Canada actually. Okay. And, um, uh, a little, it's not like some global tour or anything, yeah. but as people say, Hey Drew, will you come down and talk here or there? I'll try to work it into my schedule. I love escaping the office and interacting with real life human beings. Yeah, seriously. And anywhere this, outside of, this. yeah, this is human. <laughs> any, any excuse to get out of Chicago in the winter Amen. is a good one too. Exactly. All right. So what's on the docket for you next? What else are you thinking about and working on besides your stuff at uh, leadership oh, journal? And I've been lazy. Well, uh -huh. no, let's put it this way. I got a seven month old daughter. All right. Three year old boy named, I hope you're ready for this. Yeah. His name is Athanasius. That is a manly name. Okay, Athanasius, fourth century uh, champion of the faith. Yep. You know, Council Nicaea. Anyway, so we got high hopes for him. What do you call him for short? Uh, Athen. Athen. I like Athen that. for short, but awesome. Athanasius if he's in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> anyway, so where was I going with that? Okay, yeah, I got two little kids that have been distracting me from writing. It's yeah. off. Um, but I, yeah, I, I got a, I got a few ideas kicking around. Nothing formed yet, but. Uh, I was kind of just focused on, hey, let's get out there and pound the pavement. When you're not famous, you got to do that. And That's right. Tell, tell people about the book. And so grateful for this opportunity. Good, man. Well, it's been awesome to have you on. Uh, the book is Yawning at Tigers, and it is excellent. And uh, unlike a lot of stuff written on this topic, it is um, very fun to read. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's very important and needs to be said, but it, like you even mentioned, it can be dry and this one's not dry. It's enjoyable. You're a great storyteller. It's very well written. And, uh, and the message is one I really believe in, man. So thanks for writing it. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. It's been great having you on. If you're a ministry leader, I'd highly recommend that you check out Drew's publication, Leadership Journal. And regardless of who you are and what you do, make sure you check out Yawning at Tigers. You can find links to both in the show notes. That's it for this episode, but don't forget you can connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Ryan Hughley and also on my blog at ryanhughley.com. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. We'll be back next week with episode number 24 in my conversation with Trulia Nubel, author of Fear and Faith, Finding the Peace Your Heart Craves. Until then, it's an honor to learn with you. I love you and thanks for listening.